Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Damn it, it's Tuesday again and I have to listen to this shit for another hour. When will it end? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my home office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And on this week's show, in uh, Pipe Parts, I'm going to point you towards uh, three heavy Latakia blends that I think you should try. Please don't make me try them. But uh, these are just, again, three examples of uh, heavy Latakia blends that you may want to try if you're interested in, I don't know, uh, really trying a heavy Latakia blend. (laughs) There you go. Uh, And then my guest is uh, pipe smoker and uh, retired Lieutenant Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Devo Devereaux. We talked to him. He's done a little, uh, uh, he's done pipe collecting all around the world and... uh, you know, pipe restoration at home, and anyway, and we also get to learn about uh, flying uh, un unmanned aircraft. So you get that to listen to and look forward to um, music by suggestion and mailbag and a rant based off of what I'm about to tell you right now. Yeah. Uh, so as many of you know, I went to work at the Disney store near us and I went to work there part-time last Christmas with the idea that I would, uh, you know, that I'd work there during the Christmas season, have fun and yeah, and then see what happens. No guarantees of staying on, but they asked me to, they asked me to stay on and I've been working, you know, most weeks, three, four days a week, you know, five hours a day, nothing big. But my, uh, my time at the Disney store is coming to an end in the, the first week or two of September. Why? Because they are closing my Disney store. And in fact, they are closing another big chunk of Disney stores all around the country. So if you are near one, uh, check them out. They may have a, a 20% off sale going on. And uh, the discounts may get a little bit bigger as they go on. So uh, that'll give me more, a uh, little bit more free time. And you know what? Honestly, I will be, uh, I'll be happy to, <laughs> I'll be happy to not have to deal with some of the people at the mall. So <laughs> looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, sad to see my Disney store go. All right. So enough of that. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and we're going to be talking about heavy English blends. Blends that I would never, never, never put near my pipes, or 
never really have any interest in. However, um, many, 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 many pipe smokers do gravitate towards heavy Latakia blends. Blends where Latakia is dominant. And I, I want to clear up a couple things here. Uh, you'll hear the word Balkan tossed around when you start getting into some of these heavier blends. And to me, a Balkan blend is where, uh, yeah, an, an English blend, the Latakia is used as a condiment to go with the Virginias. And a Balkan blend or a heavy English blend is where the Latakia is dominant and it matches up or overpowers the Virginia. So uh, I know there's there's always confusion over what is an English versus a Balkan, but again, it's a an English blend is where the Latakia is used as a condiment to enhance the Virginias, and a Balkan blend is where they overpower them. And again, with my three, I've all I've always tried to pick out three that are from different manufacturers so that you get an idea of how different manufacturers work with that style. And then you may find, you know, if you want a heavy English, you may find that one factory or one manufacturer does it the way you like. But if you want a Virginia, you may find another yeah, somebody else that does it the way you like. So again, it's to taste test and get an idea of the different factories. The first one that I'm going to mention, and this is kind of the benchmark for me of what a heavy English is, and it's currently called Peterson Nightcap. Uh, and the uh, and I like the uh, I like the description of of it on uh, smokingpipes.com and it says when Dunhill announced it would no longer be producing tobacco pipe smokers rued the loss of some of their favorite mixtures thanks to Peterson however those beloved blends are still available they're the same recipes and feature the same tin art as Dunhill's just rebranded for Peterson uh, it says nightcap is a rich blend of Virginia Oriental and Latakia tobaccos intended to be smoked late in the day it's a smoky, delightfully satisfying mixture with a hint of Perique added to enhance the bouquet. So this is an old, old blend, and of course it was meant to end your day. That's why it's called Nightcap. It's, you know, uh, the hat you know the hat that you put on your head when you go to bed. That's a Nightcap. If you haven't, if you're thinking about trying a heavy English or a full English blend, this is where you need to start. And this is now being made in Denmark by Scandinavian Tobacco Group in the old Orlick factory, which I toured uh, 20 years ago. Uh, so start there. The next one that I want to bring in is the first time we're going to hear Gowith and Hogarth, or Gowith, Hogarth and Company, Samuel Gowith. Uh, and again, I look for blends that are readily available and this one really doesn't fit that mix because it's not always readily available. Uh, but it is a stout blend of uh, yeah, just Balkans. Uh, and the description is uh, Balkan mixture is an archetypal bark Balkan blend featuring Virginia's Orientals and Latakia. While both Balkan and English blends are known for their use of such components, Balkan mixtures traditionally emphasize Orientals which I don't think this does. Uh, 
but the in English blends focus more on Latakia. A subtle variation, but one that makes Gowith Hogarth's Balkan mixture an ideal choice for pipe smokers drawn to Oriental-centric blends. This is very Latakia forward. I think there's... Uh, the last time I smelled it, it's been probably five years since I really, you know, stuck my nose in a tin. Um, the Orientals are just buried by the Latakia. So you got to have a, it's got to have a real delicate handle to it before, yeah, or you got to have, a, you have to have a real delicate taste to pick up the Orientals. There, I got it out there. Uh, but this is a, I mean, this is a full, full flavored, full bodied, and not always readily available. And it'll give you a, a hint or a sense if you like that, uh, you know, like the Lakeland tobaccos from Gowith Hogarth or Samuel Gowith, who are now one in the same family again. Um, it's Latakia and Virginia, and on, uh, and some Orientals in there somewhere. Now, I think the company that does the absolute best job with variety of full-bodied Latakia blends and variety of, uh, you know, uh, Balkan-style or heavy Latakia blends. I think that manufacturer is Cornell & Deal. They have by far the widest array of heavy, of heavy Latakia blends, and I think they've got a really strong following of it. Um, on a, another podcast known as Country Squire Radio, or as I call it, Hobbit Talk, uh, they were talking about Ten Russians, which is an old uh, Captain Earl's blend that's made by Cornell and Deal. Well, for this, I selected GLP's Odyssey uh, simply because it's been around for such a long time and has a great following of people that love it. I've heard from people that age it, and it ages very well. And again, with uh, GLPs, you get two ounces in the in the uh, in the same size tin as most companies giving you fifty grams. Uh, but it says uh, the description is it's loaded with Latakia and harmonized by exotic Orientals. Wonderful red and jet black stove Virginias provide a perfect counterpoint. It's it's strong. It's going to knock you out. Uh, but this will give you a chance to see what Greg does with a lot of Latakia. And he's got some others that are Latakia heavy. You're going to hear uh, Devo talk about one. Uh, and it'll give you a chance to get a feel for what Cornell and Deal does. Because they've, they've got a handful of ones that are heavy Latakia. So there's, a, there's three distinct different choices if you're wandering around on the Cornell and Deal site and you're looking at uh, you know, some of their others, you're going to get a sense of what maybe the GLPs will taste like, but Greg always has a little special extra touch to it. So try that. So again, Peterson Nightcap, GLPs is Odyssey, and uh, Gowith Hogarth's Balkan Mixture, when you can get it. All three really heavy Latakia blends. All three mostly available on a regular basis. Um, all three are going to age real well, too. So buy two tins, try one now, put one away for a year, see what it tastes like there. All right, again, comments, suggestions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, and we'll uh, 
I'll share them there. And in just a moment, Devo Devereaux. This is Internet Radio. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection, or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345, and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a pipe smoker that doesn't fit into the novice pipe smoker range anymore. Sorry there, Devo. Um, Thank you. But it's a voice you've heard on the show before because I recorded with you briefly at the West Coast Pipe Show probably three or four years ago when you were you were peddling what looked like a warehouse full of pipe parts. But uh, the first time I met you, you were involved in the West Coast uh, in the Las Vegas Pipe Club. So we'll talk about that. But uh, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, I, I'm going to get it right this time. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Devo Devereaux, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Glad uh, to be here. I, I got I got it right, right? A light colonel? You did get it right. Yeah. You did perfect. Yeah. Okay, good. See? See? That. But, I know. Yeah. I'm impressed. But casually, people would have referred to you as colonel. They wouldn't have referred to you as lieutenant colonel all the time, unless they were a yeah. colonel and wanted to piss you off. Yeah, you're you're correct, but it's yeah, but correct title would definitely be Lieutenant Colonel. I didn't earn that uh eagle while I was in. Uh good pay grade bump if you did? Oh, that would have been nice, but um I'm still not complaining at this point. All right, so let's get to know you a little bit. Where did where did you grow up and obviously when did flying become important to you? Um, I grew up in California, moved up and down the coast. Uh, I was born down in Inglewood uh, back in the late 60s. And then uh, my family moved around a lot, and I ended up in a little town of Lodi for Ooh. high school and the, most of my time. It's uh, south of Sacramento, a little, little great community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then went to, uh, was interested in flying at that point. I wanted, when I grew up, to be a Federal Express pilot to haul rubber, well, I can always say that, haul garbage, trash haul all over the world and travel and see the world. <laughs> so I uh, I looked for flight schools, found one in uh, Oakland, which I didn't want to live in Oakland, and then I found one in Utah, so I thought, Utah's easy, I'll go there. So I went lived in Utah, started uh, getting college credit for my flight time, got a commercial license and flew, uh, finished that up. And then uh, started working as a corporate pilot for a construction company who quickly fired me after they lost a big contract. And I was their biggest expense and the first thing they need to let go of. Uh-huh. And that's how I stumbled upon a guy who 
was a he was actually a full bird colonel in the Air Force who kind of pointed me in that direction. So how does one go from being a I mean a, a private pilot you know to being in the in the Air Force do you have to go through like boot camp and all that stuff and apply and work up the ranks? Uh, no the um, if you go in with a, a bachelor of science degree and uh, get accepted you go straight into officer training so you have a very small kind of boot camp ish experience but it's mostly officership kind of things. So you go in, it's a, when I went in, it was like a 14 week program where they just teach you like history of the military, history of the air force, how do you march around a little bit? I think just to make fun of you. And, uh, <laughs> and then most of it is just leadership courses and obstacle courses and a ton of leadership courses. And then they stuck us out in rafts at one point and then out in the middle of nowhere and made us survive in the middle of Florida somewhere. It was very entertaining, but the, uh, <laughs> The flight training prior just helped me with my resume and because uh, they knew I would be able to pass the flight courses that they, they put me through. So you didn't have to do, like, push-ups until you puked and all that stuff, running uphill in the rain and the cold? No, they had a very basic kind of uh, physical training test. They, if, I mean, we're the least rigorous when it comes to physical training if you look at the size of a lot of our airmen it's no offense to any airmen out there but um, <laughs> i mean it's a annual training with a mile and a half run and some push-ups and sit-ups most of them are like 50 push-ups 50 sit-ups based on your age and all that stuff and then they measure your waist to make sure you can still fit in a flight suit but uh, it's nothing like the marine corps or the army or those guys that are like doing rucksack runs and pull-ups till they puke and that kind of stuff so, so you went into the Air Force, and then you started flying right away? Yeah. I uh, finished that 14-week program and then rolled into uh, flight training. It was a joint training with the Navy down in Pensacola. So we did some flight training there, and then I peeled off in a different direction, uh, went over to uh, Texas, finished off flight training there, and then I went into – that was in – 96 i think and then went into uh the 141 which was a big giant airplane that doesn't exist anymore it was a cargo aircraft in between a c5 and a c17 uh old vietnam maybe actually before that korean war era and uh they we did special ops stuff with that i did that for like two years and then volunteered for the unmanned aircraft program and left that went to the unmanned aircraft program out here in Vegas in, I got here in April of 2000 and enjoyed it so much. We never left. It was kind of in its infancy at the time, but it grew a ton by the time I left after flying with them for about 20, 20 years. I did 20 years out here before I retired with total year, uh, 23 years total before I retired, but three years in the uh, training and then the 141 for a brief stint and the special ops stuff out there. So uh, we got to go back to the 141 because that was actually your, your dream then. You were just transporting stuff, so that's kind of like the FedEx job, except the, yeah, it, <laughs> um, except you, <laughs> yes. might be, you might be having somebody shoot at you occasionally. Yeah, there was nothing too scary. I mean, it was some, we flew into um, Bosnia a couple of times and had some surface-to-air missile warnings, but I think they were false we never saw anything in the air but 
that job, it started off kind of being a trash hauling thing, but then turned into, I kind of rolled into the special ops stuff, which was dropping people in cargo way low altitudes, wearing night vision goggles on a big giant airliner size aircraft at 300 feet off the ground. Terrible idea. But <laughs> especially, especially with how old those birds were. They were old babies. <laughs> well, that's why they didn't. They used them. They didn't care too much about them. Yeah. Um, thanks i appreciate that yeah you're welcome all right let, let's let's fast forward a little bit before we jump back but when did pipe smoking come into your life just so that people do know that you are a pipe smoker um actually happened when i was stationed out at mcguire air force base in new jersey uh a buddy of mine i we had been smoking cigars i think it was in the 97 era we we're smoking cigars we were hanging out at the river walk in san antonio and there was a uh the guys were hand-rolling cigars there, and, and we kind of wandered into the shop and saw pipes. We're like, it was actually his idea. He's like, we should totally bring that back. Nobody smokes pipes anymore. So I picked <laughs> up my first pipe then, picked up some tobacco, uh, some aromatic. It was horrible. It smelled great. tasted terrible. And I kind of got hooked after that and kept my collection. And then that grew from there. It was like uh, I kept collecting over the years and found tobaccos that I actually enjoyed. I kind of leaned more toward the English blends, more of a, a Latakia whore, if that's a, a correct term. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> you are so, whatever you are. Oh, thanks. I appreciate your uh, support. Um, so then that turned into kind of rolling into my love of history, and so I started getting into uh, estate pipes and finding them at antique stores and old swap meets and things like that, and learning how to do restorations, uh, hooking up with a lot of guys on the, in the community and uh, a couple of pipe makers. Uh, like uh, one of my mentors was a guy, uh, Joe Dees. Yeah. He's out of Missouri. He, uh, he helped me with a lot of uh, good inputs on doing my restorations and tried to get me to get into more of that. But he's, uh, he's way better at that than I am and has more patience. But it was really cool really finding these old gems. And I, I started getting into the uh, – 1950s to 1980s were kind of my my favorite era of pipes probably because the first big collection i found was on a, a craigslist ad this woman was getting rid of a uh this guy's estate he was a world war ii pilot ended up working for the uh the precursor to the cia over in europe and it, he had his entire collection in the shoebox and it was a bunch of chardons and um uh, peterson a couple of other can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but it was a nice little collection, and that oh. kind of got me hooked on that kind of era and those little things. So it's, when he was running around the late 50s, early 60s, collecting pipes all over Europe, I really, really enjoyed the look and the briar and the, the provenance, if you will, of like his experience and stuff, and I actually got a picture of the guy. And so that's kind of where I started collecting, and now I'm sitting at, God, I think I lost count somewhere in the 200 range. I'm not sure how many I have at the moment. <laughs> And now I'm in the process of moving, and I have to move them all. I'm terrified to see what I've actually got in all the boxes and drawers everywhere. <laughs> well, that's one of those things that might be classified. So uh, we'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll have uh, more with the lieutenant colonel in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco 
expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, Flyboy Devo Devereaux, now retired Flyboy, but uh, I don't know what else he's doing. Actually, I saw pictures of you recently that you were getting into a little single engine, a uh, little single engine private plane again. Oh yeah, the Cirrus SR22, very cool little aircraft, kind of like full digital cockpit. Even has a parachute built into the aircraft. It's pretty nice. I've never seen not a lot different from the stuff I was flying back in the early '90s when, you know, the round dials and all that stuff. It's now this big, big giant iPads. It looks like a uh, what are those electric cars? The Teslas. It looks like a <laughs> Tesla, a Tesla airplane. It's crazy. And the whole thing's got a parachute. So instead of individual parachutes, this the whole plane yeah. does. Yeah, the engine quits at a certain altitude or whatever. You just pull this ripcord and a rocket shoots a parachute out of the back of the aircraft and it just gently floats, well, Hopefully. 1,600 BBI, but it floats gently-ish to the ground. <laughs> wow. All right, so, so let's get back to this because I, I was intrigued because now we have your... You're in the Air Force flying planes and now you're searching Craigslist for pipes and stuff. Aren't most pilots, you know, spending their free time, I don't know, chasing women and riding motorcycles and playing Top Gun music in the background? <laughs> well, uh, I did ride a motorcycle the first few years I was out here in Vegas, but it's hot. <laughs> and so I gave that up and I'm old. So, and I've been married like 28 years. So no chasing women, just hanging out with a wife and and one of those little free time kind of passions. And it's, it kind of helped me with that little intrigue that I had with history. I enjoyed yeah. that. And so it kind of stuck. And then I enjoyed smoking as well. So, yeah. And I also, I, you know, one of the reasons why I really like estate pipes is, uh, especially if you know the person that you got them from, you can kind of imagine where that pipe came from, where it went, what it did. And then you got a chance to clean it up and give it a new life again. Oh, yeah. You you find things, and you, especially if you can find a lot of good information about them, like, uh, God, the name of the pipes are loose. Um, there's some pipes that I found with some really good data about them, and it was some really rare, fine kind of things, and it was really nice being able to take those and bring them from their horrendous state back to, like, brand new and smokable, and, and I, I enjoy it. Nobody else has any idea what the hell I'm doing, but I wander around the casino and smoke a pipe, and People are just like, my, reminds me of my grandpa. I'm like, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I've never heard that myself. All right. So, sure. So now I got to ask the, the unmanned flight stuff. 
because that that you were doing that when I met you, and it was high altitude. I don't know. You you got explain it for us dummies. Oh sure. Um, so I went into the uh, out here in Vegas. I joined the uh, program for the unmanned air vehicles at the time. They turned into remotely piloted aircraft. Uh, media calls them drones, which uh, we don't like the D word because that's just some dumb aircraft that nobody's controlling and just kind of points and does its own thing. But it's uh, basically taking the air, the pilot out of the cockpit, putting the cockpit on the ground, and then remotely controlling the thing. So I started in the Predator program and then moved on to the Reaper program. Uh, so they're, they're large. Most people are kind of surprised by the size of them, but they're, um, the Reaper itself is like 11,700-pound airplane. It's a big, giant plane. can fly up in the 30,000 range, carry lots of bombs and missiles, and, and uh, I ended up, I did a little bit of combat ops initially for the first few years, and then I rolled into the test and evaluation portion. So I did test pilot stuff for them, and ended up working with uh, NASA on their. They they bought a Reaper type aircraft that they used for a lot of their um, their evaluations, and uh, they did a lot of atmospheric testing. We worked with NOAA and some other agencies, but it was actually cool to be able to have some test experience and get to fly with the NASA guys and and do some of the cool little missions. They did make me deploy to Hawaii for a month, which was hard, very difficult, spending <laughs> a month in Hawaii flying with those guys. I can tell you really feel bad for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really feeling bad. I'm really feeling bad. Um, <laughs> a, a wingspan of 66 feet, if I'm looking at this card that you gave me years ago correctly. Yep, uh, you are correct, sir. Very so large aircraft. Um, and it's and most people don't know. I mean, th there's been some movies made, but and some of them are ridiculous. But most of them, I mean, we're in control of the aircraft the entire time. We have like stick rudder, rudder pedals, and and controls. And uh, it's just a little bit of a delay with the feedback. But otherwise, you're flying an aircraft. You're just sitting in a seat really far away from it. And and you don't have an oxygen mask to deploy if something goes wrong. Nope. No ejection seat. No oxygen mask. Just get up and run away there's been times when i've had uh air missile surface air missiles shooting up at the aircraft and i see a missile shooting up at the plane and i have my roll of quarters ready to throw them in in case i got shot down but i would have been fine <laughs> so, so these i mean this plane might have been anywhere in the world and you were sitting in a you were sit you were basically playing a video game in las vegas running it yeah, kids, mom was wrong. You can get paid for playing video games. <laughs> Could you smoke in the uh, in the cockpit while you were, uh, I, I mean, uh, at the uh, video game controller? We're calling it a cockpit, sir. And okay. no, it's uh, 50 feet, uh, smoking away from 50 feet away from the cockpit, sorry. <laughs> and that was probably at a undisclosed building near Las Vegas. Don't think Area 51, right? Oh, man, don't think Area 51. I don't think that exists, despite what you think. Well, no, it exists. It's the other areas that we're worried about now, you know, like 52 and 53. <laughs> we got new numbers for me. I like it. I'm yeah. going with that. So I'll tell the story again because, um, you know, every once in a while my kids would think I'm really cool, and I think one of the first times I met you, we were – we did a little get together with the pipe club or something and I was in Vegas and you gave me this envelope full of 
NASA stickers and buttons and things, and I brought it home for my daughter. And I mean, it's I'm sitting here looking at one of her old computers, and there's one of your NASA stickers on the back of it. And she thought I was just like the coolest person for well. I'm going to rephrase that. She thought I was cool because I knew somebody who was really cool. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, that Thanks didn't last. Welcome. Yeah. That didn't last too long. She was a teenager then. So then it ended. Yeah. That happens. I have one of those as well or had one as well. <laughs> yeah. That, that'll last all of 15 minutes and then it's on to the next thing. You're still a nerd telling dad jokes and wearing socks with sandals and all that. I hear you. Yeah, so what's scarier, uh, combat flying or raising a teenager? Uh, teenager, definitely. Definitely the teenager. Teenage girl. The teenage boy was easy. Teenage girl? Holy cow. I thought, <laughs> wow, I've never faced anything worse in my entire life. <laughs> uh, uh, now that you're, uh, so now that you're retired, how often do you get a chance to sit down and smoke a pipe? Um, a lot more than I used to. Um, it's been really nice. I've been working as a government contractor since I retired in the same field, working with the unmanned aircraft. And uh, I, I was deploying for a couple of years. And out of the deployed sites in in uh, other in, in Middle East and other places, we were we'd have a lot of free time in between uh, flight events, and we'd build up these little cool shacks and make cool little lights uh think uh, like uh mash the swamp kind of a thing <laughs> sit around smoke pipes i get all my buddies i of course bring way too many with me and hand them out to all my buds and we sit around smoke pipe and we're two and it's it was nice it was a nice little change of pace relax and unwind after playing combat warriors for a day yeah and were you able to recruit any new pipe smokers from your uh <laughs> from your time yeah, abroad 10 or 15 and because of my collecting and there's like a lot of the things i would collect that um some of them were great finds. some of them were just like ah this is all right and so i put together little pipe kits for a lot of my um my my fellow air crew friends who would be out there with me so i'd always be ready and they, most of them have kept up the uh the hobby and it's been good so we trade tobacco ideas and time and uh and suggestions and I send them little goodie samplers occasionally, but yeah, it's it's good to spread the uh, the hobby out to people, especially when they see you and they catch you somewhere smoking one, and they're like, "What in the hell are you doing?" <laughs> like, oh, you're gonna enjoy this. Here, give it a shot. Put that stupid cigarette down. Yeah, yeah. Come here. You can all look like we can all look like MacArthur. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But at, at the same time, it's also great to, you know, especially for guys that are deployed like that, for anybody to have something to, to look forward to and something to kind of relax them and take them out of the day's events. Oh, absolutely. And it's really, I always kind of tell people when they first start that it's like smoking a pipe is like a half hour at least of uh, meditation because all you're really doing is focusing on your breathing and focusing on just pack and light and and keep your pipe working so it's uh it takes away everything else that's going on during the day and you get a little meditation break and that's why we live much longer than anyone else yeah yeah well and it takes me a half hour to figure out what pipe i'm gonna smoke and yeah for you i'm not surprised that's you've yeah. probably got a vast collection of crazy stuff 
Uh, no, actually, my collection is smaller than yours, but that's only because I limit myself in some region, you know, some areas, but I'm special. Um, <laughs> you are special. Yeah, yeah. When when you were going abroad, would you take like a couple different pipes and a and a couple different kinds of tobaccos and bring a whole assortment with you? I bring a I had a large bag travel bag that I a pipe bag that I found that held about twenty twenty ish pipes, and uh, I'd bring a good amount because tobacco is really hard to find overseas um, okay. in some countries. I did find it in France, but uh, some some nice Dunhill. Early morning stuff, but it was way overpriced. Those euros, man, those are crazy. They're not like dollars <laughs> at all. But uh, yeah, so I'd always bring it all with me. I was always worried that the customs guys would kind of search in my bag or somebody would give me trouble, but I never had a problem. So yeah, I'd always have to bring everything with me for, I was usually out three or four months at a time, and I always brought plenty. I, I got to ask you if these are all unmanned remote control little airplanes, why would they send you over there? What the hell does it matter where you are? <laughs> well, the uh, the aircraft work um, in like 2003, we came up with this concept of remote split operations. We used to deploy the entire system overseas and go fly full missions out where we were. The plane would still go and fly for like 20 some odd hours at a time, but the uh, then we'd bring it back and land it at the same field we're at. Then we figured out that we could control them remotely via satellite link so the only thing we needed to do overseas is to launch and land them. And uh, so we'd have a small maintenance group out there to work on the planes, refuel them, and reload weapons. And uh, then we'd launch them, get them airborne. As soon as we got them up to a certain altitude, they would pick them up via satellite link and fly the entire mission. And then when it was out of gas or out of bombs, they'd bring it back to us and we'd land it. So a very small percentage of people actually know how to launch and land those planes which is where we had the majority of our accidents back in the day. We'd lose most of the aircraft and launch and land because they're fairly difficult to land with a little soda straw view and big glider wings. Yeah. Well, I, I got no idea. Sorry. No clue. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I'm here for you. Okay, thanks. I feel better. But my daughter will think I'm still cool maybe. Um, yeah, at least for 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, no, that'll be over quicker than that now. <laughs> uh so your collection i'm assuming it's uh it spans all different types of pipes or do you kind of focus in one area um it, it there's a lot like i started a list of things that i was looking for um uh, it's kind of like those want to and uh hard to find kind of items but it's it's a lot of I, I focus a lot on the Chardons. I, I try to find the Langara Chardons and um, also looking at uh, the uh, Longchamp. I've kind of got a collection of Longchamp, the leather wrap <laughs> Longchamp ones. And, yeah. And it's it's been, there's still holes in my collection of things that I'm looking for. Like I found the cool pony fur ones and I'm still looking. I found some alligator ones and I'm still so looking for some of the other ones that are out there, but I'll, I'll find them eventually. I'm, I'm not worried about it, but yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of my niche. I think it's kind of those, uh, those, those are kind of my two faves and go-tos. And those what I'm always looking for whenever I hit an antique store in a new town or a new state or a new country or a new country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised what you'd find overseas pipe stores, not a lot of tobacco, but a lot of pipes, which is odd. 
Yeah, well, some countries you can't sell tobacco in a pipe shop. You have to. It has to be licensed. It has to be a licensed tobacco seller, and it has to be a whole different place. So, uh, it's one of the dumbest things. But yeah, hey, we don't sell gasoline at a car dealership either. He, uh, you make a good point. I have no response to that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're right. Uh, yeah, so I would definitely find pipes and. And I never found any bars in the Middle East, but I found a lot of milk bars that sell all sorts of different kinds of milk, which was very odd. I never <laughs> tried the camel milk, though. I was a little too afraid. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you're doing these unmanned flight things, do you actually ever get to actually like go touch your airplane? Um, yeah, that was always in the test environment that I was flying in mostly. That was kind of a critical part of it, looking at all the new hardware and new pieces and parts that might have put on the aircraft or some of our sensing equipment that we'd be looking at to try and uh, make sure that we, we got the data that we needed for the test flights. And then as a contractor, my job was basically launching and landing. So going around and kicking tires and making sure stuff wasn't falling off prior to takeoff was uh, definitely important. But the guys on the other end that I handed the plane to, they never saw the plane. Yeah, and stop flying those damn things over my house when, you know, trying to see if I'm naked in my hot tub, please. Well, yeah, we'd see way too much, so I'll keep that to yeah. myself. <laughs> well, but I have the video, and I'll give it to you for the right press. Yeah, I don't even want to see it. Um, but now, Lieutenant Colonel, retired, it's your turn for the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Oh, Ready. What is your favorite pipe? Um, my birth year Dunham. Ooh, what shape? Um, she is a bulldog. What is your favorite tobacco? Um, right now I'm partial to Westminster. Ooh, lots of Latakia. You gotta love that. Yeah, I'm like uh, no, uh, but yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, not my thing. <laughs> it's okay. We're good. We're here for you. Here, here's an even tougher question for you. What is your favorite drink? And any of them is not an answer. Oh, I'm a vodka soda drinker. Oh, you are not. You're an old guy. Yeah, you knew this. Yeah, I'm surprised you weren't riding one of those big wheeled bicycles instead of uh, riding a motorcycle. Um, it's still hot. Yeah. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Book. Always a book. And, and I'm going to guess a history book. Yes. Actually, you're right. Wow. I pay attention sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and the then, history of Egypt is what I'm wearing, reading at the moment. Well, that goes way back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my, my relatives had some experience in Egypt. We didn't like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I still want back pay for all the work we did on the uh, on the pyramids, but uh, we appreciate it, though. Yeah, thank you. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? That's a great question. Favorite um, pipe smoking memory? I found uh, at an antique store. I found an old, like uh, late eighteen hundreds meerschaum. German Meerschaum pipe that I kind of stumbled across and and then uh, brought it home, cleaned it up a bit, and then that bowl in my 
backyard. It was springtime, so it was a perfect temperature. So I filled that up with Latakia. The bowl was gigantic, and I remember having to do multiple relights and taking almost an hour to get through the damn thing. But that was a, <laughs> that was a really good day. <laughs> it's a really good pipe smoking experience. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Devo Devereaux, thank you very much for coming on here. Thank you for making my daughter think that I'm cool for at least a few minutes. And uh, thank you for your service. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you having me. We'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. How's that? A pipe-smoking Air Force pilot in the unmanned flight uh, wing, I guess. And so a chocolatier last week and a uh, Air Force pilot this week. What a what a diverse group of people this pipe hobby has. If, if there's one job in common, I can't think of it. So uh, maybe it's PhD, but I don't know. I guess if you're flying a remote control airplane all over the world, that's got to be a PhD in something. Um, anyway, uh, all right. For music, this one came to me from... Uh, from uh, Dennis Cullinan of Red Bell Pipes, and he gave me this CD at the uh, NASPC show, and it's the Keller Coker Quartet, K-E-L-L-E-R-K-O-C-H-E-R Quartet, and I think what caught his attention was the uh, title of the, C of the album is Pipe and Slippers. It's, uh, they're a jazz quartet, with a bass, vibraphone, piano, and drums, and the song we get to hear from them is titled Pipe and Slippers.
So let me tell you a little something about me. Uh, normally, I'm not a big fan of just instrumental jazz. Normally, if I'm listening to instrumental jazz, my mind starts to wander, my eyes start to wander. You know, I, I need the vocal to kind of hold me. Uh, normally, this is not the type of music that I would play while I'm driving because, you know, it just doesn't catch me and kind of pass the time. However, I found that that was actually a, a, a captivating piece, and I really enjoyed it. And a couple other songs on there are you know, very similar. So uh, really good background music, really good just kind of sit down with the pipe and maybe a drink and just listen to it. Uh, again, it's the Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R, Coker, K-O-C-H-E-R Quartet. And uh, thank you very much to Dennis for uh, giving this to me. So I was kind of picturing Devo sitting in his uh, his version of the swamp, smoking his pipe, and hearing a uh, mail call being announced out over the PA system. But <laughs> anyway, doubt it actually happened that way. Uh, remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email me directly, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com, or you can post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, just like these guys do, and Dino does it almost every week. Dino, going back to last week with Matt, says, I very much enjoyed the discussion of two of my favorite things, chocolate and tobacco. Matt and you stirred a lovely confluence among the two products and crafts. A tasty conversation. Uh, like Brian, that Bach piece is among my favorites on the planet. Aaron performed it beautifully. Uh, nice NASPC report, and it was good to see you, too, on that Zoom. <laughs> Thanks for an always entertaining show, Dino. Dino, you're welcome, and good seeing you, too. Can't wait to see you in person. And then Casey Ghost says, I couldn't believe you found a real chocolatier for the show. I guess great taste buds travel in the same places. Chocolate and tobacco make for a wonderful combination. Greatly enjoyed the musical piece, and it was played marvelously by Aaron. Kudos for that. Really enjoyed the trip report immensely. Uh, except for Sally Gottliebson, it looked like a whole bunch of new people were at the show. Um, no, there wasn't. No, there wasn't a lot of new people. There was a lot of Chicago influence of people at the show. Uh, there was a handful of first-time exhibitors and you know first-time visitors to a pipe show, so that was great to see, but. Uh, the vendors, yeah, tended to be some of the uh, some of the same old, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the same old uh, guilty victims. And then uh, speaking of Columbus, uh, Mister Spike writes another fine show. Matt Dixon was another of your fine guests on New Guys to Our Community. I particularly liked your review of the Columbus show. I've been fortunate to attend every NASPC show since 2013 and must say it is my favorite, and I say that as a veteran of pipe shows, having attended the Richmond show since 1989, Chicago since 2003, and even one Raleigh show in 2018. I must say I was a bit wary of the new Columbus venue because I loved the old place down the road in Dublin. The only thing I miss about the old place is the great courtyard, so amenable to enjoying a bowl or four. I will tell you the same I told Brian Doran, Beans316, on YouTube. 
that talking to you was my second best experience only after winning a $595 Ronaldo pipe in the raffle. <laughs> wow, $600 pipe in the raffle. Uh, and then he goes on to say, my only beef is you gave a shout out to Mrs. Spike and she's listened to that part of the show many a time and now couldn't fit on Steve Fallon's hat either. Thanks. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And uh, Mrs. Spike, you know, again, uh, seeing uh, seeing a Mrs. that actually listens to the show is uh, rarer than hen's teeth. And, um, you know, you guys that smoke pipes, yeah, I love seeing you. And yeah, you guys that listen to the show, I love seeing you. But when I find a lady that listens to the show and likes it, boy, that's rare. So, hi, Mrs. Spike. Um, again, comments or questions, post them right there on Pipes Magazine, just like those three fine fellows did. And uh, podcast-wise, there's uh, so Mike Murphy is back, and uh, he's got a partner with him, Jay. Uh, they've revamped the style, so it's uh, two guys talking mostly with the occasional uh, with the occasional guest to join them. Uh, the only thing I will say is that it's not safe for work all the time or uh, tender ears. So that part of the format has changed, but it's great to see Mike back and uh, and I've enjoyed listening to those. And then uh, Sean Ream and Chris Morgan have their new show, and it's called uh, Beyond the Pipe. And it is uh, two pipe makers talking about things that come to two pipe makers' minds. So uh, sometimes it's all pipe-related, sometimes it's not. Uh, I believe they have three or four or five episodes out now, four. So uh, check them out. And don't forget... Uh, Coming up in October, the first weekend, is the Richmond Core Show. Go to the website, Core Show, uh, and check out the arrangements for that. It's hosted at the Sutliff Tobacco Factory. And then the first weekend in November, the Texas Pipe Show in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, is uh, they're temporarily taking the Las Vegas Show weekend slot. So if you're anywhere near Texas, check that out. It's uh, just... Go to pipesmagazine.com and you'll see the uh, the stuff for the Texas Pipe Show. And don't forget, pipe shows are a lot of fun. I'm going to have to try. I, I may try to get to Texas. It just depends on what's going on. So, All right, rant time's coming up next. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Walt Disney Company is moody as a teenage girl, and sorry to all you teenage girls listening, but it's true. They're moody as a teenage girl, and let me explain why. So I've been following the business side of the Walt Disney Company for at least 35 years now, and they get moody and go through trends. And here's what the trend is right now regarding the Disney stores close all of them down except for a few in key cities, so like New York. Yeah, Dublin, 
London, whatever. All right, key cities, marquee places. Close those down. Close everything down except for those marquee cities. And the reason why is they're going to focus on their online presence. Well, they did this once before. They pushed way out big into the Disney stores and branched them out and put them in every mall. And then they started scaling them back. And then they sold them off to another company. That company went bankrupt. They brought them. They bought them out of bankruptcy, brought them back, opened up a few more, trimmed them down, reorganized. And they've done this before with other divisions where they've also taken their... Uh, uh, their inner, uh, their electronic gaming division, and they license everything out to a company. See how much money that company is making off of it, and then bring it all back in house, and then hire a bunch of people, and then decide, you know what, it's just not making enough money, and they'd scale it back and fire those people, and start uh, licensing it again. They did that three times with their electronic gaming business. Now here's my problem with what they're doing now. Yes, they're shutting down the local Disney store to me. That's sad, but the problem is they are a international brand and they will no longer have retail presence in shopping centers in major cities. And when I'm talking major city, I'm talking any city that's in the top 100 population in the United States, they won't have anybody there. And they think that they will get the same reach and the same branding and the same consistency by putting in uh, putting in a section in Target or putting in a section in other stores. So I wish them luck. Yes, I'll miss working at the store. Yeah, I'm kind of happy I don't have to anymore because it'll free up some time for us. Uh, and I won't have to deal with some of the people at the mall. So there you go. That's it. The Walt Disney Company's moody as a teenage girl. Don't be a moody teenage girl and run a business. That's all I got to say. Sorry, teenage girls. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Devo for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to Doing this show once a week is worse than getting a daily prostate exam. <laughs>